0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: Hello and welcome to the Saturday Twilight Show on Teachers Talk Radio. I'm Graham Stanley, and on today's show I'll be talking to a colleague of mine, Liliana Sanchez, about an exciting teacher development project in Chiapas, which involves indigenous rural school teachers of English. I'll also be speaking about what I saw at the TESOL Convention in Portland, Oregon, and about conferences in general. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Saturday Twilight Show. I've spent most of the week in Portland, Oregon, in the U.S. I was there attending the annual TESOL convention. This is one of the biggest conferences for English language professionals, which has over, I think, 900 in-person sessions with educators, mainly from the U.S., it has to be said, but also with people from other countries around the world. TESOL is an international association for the teaching of English speakers of other languages. The equivalent in the UK is IATEFL, which is the international association for teachers of English as a foreign language. This conference in Portland is the only, is the second TESOL conference I've been to. The first was held in 2015 at uh, the Hilton Hotel in New York. And This one was held at the uh, Oregon Convention Center and Hyatt Hotel, and the difference between the two was interesting. I'll be speaking about that, and also about what I saw and the people I connected with a bit later on in the show. I'll also be speaking about the experience of going to conferences in general, and how I think things have changed since the pandemic with CPD, and conferences specifically. If you're listening in live and would like to join me in the studio to talk about your experience of conferences and CPD or indeed anything else that you uh, would like to talk about, then please do so. I'd love to hear from you. The easiest way to do this is to go to ttradio.org and listen live through Podbean. Once in the studio in Podbean, Then we can chat and I can bring you in live. I hope some of you will join me live today to discuss all things conferences, TESOL, or anything related to education that's on your mind. A good part of the show today, though, is a conversation I had with a colleague of mine. (coughs) Excuse me, I still have this lingering cough. One day it will go, I think, I hope. Um, So a colleague of mine who is attending the TESOL convention with me, Liliana Sanchez, who is the head of English programmes for the British Council of Mexico. And during our 10-hour journey back from Portland to Mexico City, we had a long stopover in Los Angeles. Uh, So I roped her in to speak to me about the low-tech teacher development project she manages in Chiapas, Mexico. I thought it would be easy to record this in the airport, but it was only after we started that we realized just how many announcements there are. And I don't think they register with you usually, but every five minutes or so, our conversation was interrupted. And this happened throughout uh, throughout the time. And although we spoke for about an hour or over an hour, I think, once I edited out all the interruptions, I've ended up with a 25-minute recording of our conversation. But I think this will be of interest to, (coughs) excuse me, at least some of you. More about this soon. But first of all, let's go to the Teacher Talk Radio News.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
2: In a week where Ofsted has found itself under increased pressure and scrutiny following the death of a primary school head teacher, The Independent has focused on the decision by many school leaders to remove references to Ofsted from websites. The removal of logos and other references from school letterheads, websites and other materials is being done in what many describe as solidarity with headteacher Ruth Perry. Other forms of protest against the inspectorate have included the wearing of black clothing and displaying photographs of Ms Perry in schools where inspections are taking place. Unions have also urged Ofsted to pause inspections and the NEU handed in a petition to the Department for Education, which had 45,000 signatures, calling for an accountability system that was supportive, effective and fair. In a statement, Amanda Spielman, HMCI, said it would be against children's best interests to pause inspection and that inspection was important for both schools and parents. It has been further revealed by the BBC that inspectors had visited Cavisham Primary School, where Ms Perry was head teacher, in 2019, as part of a pilot of the latest inspection framework and that Miss Spielman had also been present. In a newsletter written at the time, Miss Perry said she was proud of how well pupils and staff had responded to the experience and that feedback had been overwhelmingly positive. But a formal inspection in november twenty twenty two rated Cavishan Primary as inadequate as a result of failings in training, record keeping and checks on staff, although it did also state that children were provided with a good education and that the school was a welcoming and vibrant community. In a statement, Amanda Spielman said that the the debate about reforming inspections to remove grades was legitimate, but any changes would need to meet the needs of parents and government. And a spokesman for the Prime Minister said, we are confident the current rating system provides the right level of transparency for parents. In Manchester, students at the city's university who have been refusing to pay their rent in protest at high costs have been removed from a university building by bailiffs. The group of rent strikers had occupied the University of Manchester's Simon building and videos on the BBC News website appeared to show some protesters being carried out. A spokesperson for the university said it regretted the action but that the protest had been going on for a significant amount of time. Campaigners said the situation was disgraceful and shamed the university. Around 250 students cancelled payments in January and demanded a 30% reduction in rent arguing they were struggling to buy food amid the cost-of-living crisis. A smaller group occupied the building, and it was this group who were removed by bailiffs, enforcing a court order after they had ignored multiple requests to leave. At the University of Birmingham, a recovery flat, where students with different addictions can live together to help them complete their studies, has been opened. The BBC reports on the programme, which is being pioneered by the University. And trying to help students stay addiction free. The Vale, a huge student village near the campus in Edgebaston, is home to thousands of undergraduates. In one of the large blocks of flats, six units have now been set aside for students in recovery. Supported by a peer manager, the flats are alcohol and drug free, and currently are male only, although it is hoped another flat for six female students will open next year. The hope is that students can enjoy university life without missing out on support. The programme is supporting the Better Than Well project, which currently supports around 50 students, and was set up to help students with addictions to be successful at university and with their recovery. On South Townside, a primary school in Jarrow kick-started their Kindness Matters Week as it became the first Kindness Matters school in the area. Pupils at St Joseph's Catholic Primary School and its staff were asked, what does kindness mean to you? And in the run up to the main event, completed a 30-day Kindness Matters challenge. Kindness Matters was set up in 2012 by John McGee, known as the Kindness Coach, and it teaches kindness and well-being to school children and teachers. McGee visited the school as part of the week, where he led a super learning day focusing on what the pupils had done so far and what they would do next to help the world be more kind. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods,
3: your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I've got to episode 60. What better to celebrate 60 episodes but look at what potentially happens every 60 seconds online and do it in 60 seconds. To do this I've used the term infographic in my search. Infographics are a great way to show visually a lot of data. They're not just for IT concepts and I'd recommend seeing if you can find any that represent your subject. The most recent infographic I found was in a blog by Steph. Stephanie Heitman, called What Happens in an Internet Minute. Feel free to look her up and read her research. Right, here we go. Start the countdown. In an Internet Minute, 174,000 apps are downloaded, 16.2 million texts are sent, 231 million emails are sent, 694 million songs are streamed, 6 million people buy something online. 5.9 million Google searches are made. 44 million people view Facebook live streams. 20.8 thousand active users are on LinkedIn. 2.1 million people are active on Facebook. 575,000 tweets are sent. 46,000 searches are done on Pinterest. 66,000 photos and videos are shared on Instagram. 2 million Snapchats are sent. 167 million videos are watched on TikTok. 452,000 hours of content are streamed on Netflix. 3.67 million YouTube videos are watched, and that's just the headlines of an Internet Minute. That's a lot of data flying around. On the biggest network of networks there is, the Internet. As always, if you have a question on tech, why not send it to TT Radio official? I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Teachers Talk Radio. It's Saturday, March 25th, 2023, and I'm Graeme Stanley. As I said earlier, I was able to have an interesting conversation with a colleague of mine about a project that she manages in the state of Chiapas in Mexico. This project helps teachers in rural school contexts, and it's an indigenous community, uh, to develop their teaching and English language skills. If the pandemic highlighted anything for me, and the people with uh, people I work with across the Americas, it was definitely that there were very large numbers of people who aren 't able to switch to learning who weren't able to switch to learning online either because they didn't have computers or and/ or internet connections in their homes or for other similar related reasons subsequently. We have definitely increased our focus on the use of t v radio mobiles to allow us to reach these populations of teachers and to help them with their day to day needs and to give them opportunities to develop professionally that otherwise they wouldn't that would be excluded from so this uh this project that follows is just one case study uh but I think it's very it's a very interesting one, and I hope you think so too. Without further ado, um, here's my conversation with Liliana about the Lawtech project in Chiapas. So I'm here today with Liliana Sanchez from the British Council in Mexico. And uh, Liliana, how are you?
4: Very well, thanks, Graham.
1: And for the benefit of the people listening, could you give us a brief introduction uh, and let everyone know about your trajectory in english language teaching
4: yeah sure Uh, i've been in elt for over 30 years i'm not going to reveal my age but (laughs) i started young um and i i I had different roles in elt i started as a a language teacher in a high school and then moved to language centers um, became a a director of studies for a school, then later became the academic director of um, language center, and I also did in my in, in my life as a teacher I did some um, E L T consultancy for the British Council, and thanks to the British Council of Mexico I became a teacher educator, the teacher training. I'm a former Delta Module Two assessor, so I mean I've 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 done testing in different forms, you know research and. And speaking, examining, so <laughs> I've wow. been out there for a while.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. And what about your current role? What is it that you do at the moment?
4: Sure. I am the head of English programs, British Council of Mexico, and I am in charge of two programs that we manage from Mexico, which is English Connects and ELT in Education. There are different programs. One of them is connecting with individuals. The other is having an impact to um, education systems in with regards to ELT so very exciting.
1: Fabulous and in particular there's one project I wanted to ask you about which is a project based in the state of Chiapas working with teachers of English in state schools that uses low technology to be able to help them develop as teachers could you tell us a little bit about the background to that
4: Yeah, sure um, that is part of our um, English in education programs uh, we, um, we we had this um, in-depth research carried out in 21 22 and from there we identified that um, check the state of Chiapas was one that required um, support because I mean we're talking about a state with a population of 5.5 million people, but one of the largest populations uh, in rural context. So once we had identified that, uh, we decided to look for an, a program that could um, help English language teachers in marginalized areas. So, uh, one, so once we had identified the the need that the that, that teachers in the state had, um, we, we started looking at what sort of programs we, we had run before and experiences in other countries in Latin America. Um, we learned about um, a low-tech solution that had been implemented in Venezuela with good results. I mean, they were also um, piloting and moving... Um, uh, forward with uh, different modules that they have designed well the story is that um, this program has got ten modules focused on ELT you know areas like lesson planning like uh, class management and there have been some efforts in Cuba as well from our partners uh, with our British Council colleagues there so what we we did is that we um, looked at the materials decided that they were really appropriate to the context of Chiapas, connected with the Ministry of Education, and that was key for the project because the Ministry was very interested in providing something. So the Ministry of Education was uh, very keen on finding something for uh, rural school teachers because they are usually the ones that are are left out because of distance, because of reach. So when we um, uh, analyzed the material that was available in, in those two countries, we started thinking of how do we how do we implement a professional development professional development program for uh, teachers in far out um, communities, yeah. and then it's when we decided to focus on rural uh, English language teachers only, and the ministry again uh, was key for this. They identify over 500 teachers that we could invite to participate in the CPD program. We decided that the the module that we could start with uh, out of 10 that the program has was lesson planning, and so all the pieces came together. I mean, it was ideal because the ministry wanted something, wanted a solution. We had one, but then we had to think, how do we make it accessible to teachers that are in places like San Juan Chamula, uh, San Cristobal de las Casas, I mean, I'm talking about places far out from the main city which is uh, Tuxla Gutierrez.
1: So just to give our listeners a, a bit more background about the context, could you describe a little bit about where Chiapas is in relation mm-hmm. to the capital city, for example Mexico City, and perhaps what kind of, uh, what kind of place it is, just give mm-hmm. a bit of background
4: chapis is beautiful place It's in the southwest of the country just to give listeners an idea um it's a almost almost 2 hour flight from mexico city it's bordering state with oaxaca and and um, well it's a, it's it's a, in the pacific coast um, it's one of the poorest states or possibly the second poorest state in mexico having said that it's 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 identified as classified as that because of income but um per capita but it's a very rich state in terms of um you know uh, natural resources mm-hmm. but the city which is tuxla gutierrez is already i mean it's a city
3: mm-hmm.
1: could you let us know what you saw in when you went to that classroom
4: so, yes, Graham, it was a very interesting experience. The school that we visited was in San Juan Chamula, an indigenous community in a rural context. Uh, but what was fantastic about it, it was that the class was being conducted in the foreign language, yeah. but Sotzil but was used as reference for children, and their textbooks were in Sotzil. So I saw a class where a, where a teacher was using the techniques that you know, are familiar to any ELT uh, professional. A game, tossing a ball, and, and reviewing vocabulary. But when children were um, doubtful about the meaning of a word, the teacher used the, teacher, the English language teacher is fluent in, in fact, he's a local of the mm-hmm. community. So that yeah. was a very interesting experience, just to see, not to see the language that is spoken in the country, as reference for children, and to convey meaning. Um, then we, we, we saw another class where um, children of between the ages of um, eight and nine mm-hmm. were singing along with the teacher. They were singing in the foreign language. Here, the teacher w- was not a local one, so they didn't speak tzotzil, and so she had to use the Spanish when children had doubts about meaning or to convey meaning, yeah. and this was very interesting because not every child speaks Spanish fluently, not in that context. So, um, of course, the teachers, that both English teachers, had to be very resourceful, uh, think carefully how they were going to convey English, uh, sorry, meaning, because it's not as in any other context where you think, oh, well, let's use a dictionary and let's just tell them exactly what it means. Here. Apart from not just the words in Totsil, is the concepts. Concepts in an indigenous community are very, not necessarily very different, but are different to what happens in urban cities. So um, it was a, a fantastic experience, and we feel very happy that teachers are benefiting from the training because. After the observation of their classes, where th- there was an opportunity to speak to them, and both of them spoke very, um, you know, highly of of the program of the way it's being delivered. Because I haven't mentioned how it's being delivered, mm-hmm. our um, professional development program, which we have called low tech, and I'm not sure that's the right name for it, but it was our pilot. Yeah. Um, it's about to finish. It's finishing next week. And we will be able to collect data and and understand exactly what impact we cause but observing classes and talking to the teachers there in the community of san, san juan chamula was clear for us that we have achieved something incredible because the teachers spoke about having reinforced uh, their strategies to organize and sequence a lesson as part of lesson planning but the other thing they said is now they have got these interest in creating a community. Mm
1: -hmm. They said
4: they want to exchange ideas because they feel they are quite apart from each other. You know, I mean, one rural community is possibly five hours far from the other. um, And there is no, like, easy transportation. So because we have managed to connect teachers via an app on mobile phones, and used um, uh, use a, a telephone service that has got coverage across mm-hmm. the state. We are connecting rural teachers in Chiapas with teacher educators um, from other parts of the world. Most of them from uh, Latin America.
1: So Liliana, m- most of those teacher educators are from all. Uh, in different parts of the world? Are they most from, mostly from the UK?
4: Well, uh, we are working with a partner from the UK, but one condition that we set for this course, because the level of English of the teachers is a weak B1, strong A2, uh, it was necessary to identify teacher educators that spoke the language of of, of, the, tut- of the teachers naively, we thought that mm-hmm. Spanish was the first language <laughs> of teachers, of and now, through this experience of visiting the schools, we've realized that we were very wrong. Um, e- even even amongst them, they don't speak the same language.
1: Right, that's very so. interesting. Mm-hmm. And you said they you you use a mobile app to help the teachers with their teacher development. Could you explain what app it is and how that is? Done in effectively in in pr- in practical terms.
4: Sure, um, we, I mean, the, this this uh, this project in Mexico came to life from ideas from Venezuela, and we learned that in Venezuela, uh, our colleagues, the British Council of Venezuela, was using um, Telegram as the selected app. Now we were not sure about it because in Mexico uh, Telegram is not widely used, so. We thought, uh, let's go for WhatsApp. It's uh, common for most most people and certainly for teachers, because during pandemic, that was the way teachers communicated with the students and Mm -hmm. deliver classes remotely as as it was possible at the time. So we thought WhatsApp can work. But then we realized that, obviously, speaking to our colleagues in Venezuela, but also Designing the program, we realized that WhatsApp doesn't have the functionality that Telegram has, which is um, being able to hold a call with more than twenty people. You can mm-hmm. actually have it with over a hundred people, yeah. and it will it will hold. You know, but also um, sharing screens um, for PowerPoint presentations. You cannot do that with WhatsApp, but with Telegram you can. And so we procure a partner in the UK that is very familiar with the app and can actually, I mean, um, this group has got a dashboard for the Telegram app so that they can um, disseminate materials and they can also organize the groups. Uh, and so it was, it was important to learn about this app. Um, I personally had never used it. I mean, many of, of us at the office knew about it, but, opted for what's up but now that i've learned about the different functionalities of these of telegram um we are very happy and we are actually thinking of um, delivering a second module or creating a community of practice amongst mm-hmm. these teachers using the app
1: so i imagine these teachers haven't done much if any continuing professional development before and I also imagine, from what you said, that the unexpected development here is this idea of uh, the found They benefit Im- immensely from being in touch with each other. Is that the case?
4: Oh, definitely. That's that's what that's the feedback we got when we when we visited them in their schools. Um, one of them mentioned not only professional development but language development. So both uh, professional and language development, because. Um, One of them commented that interacting with other teachers whose level of language proficiency was, in his opinion, better than his, had helped him, um, you know, um, learn some words, learn some expressions. What we realized is that that was only the verbal interaction and it was just the, you know, interaction during the, the the delivery of the session so what we think is that we really need to create a community or help them because we cannot organize a community of practice for them it has to be something generated by them but now that we have identified their interest we we need to, to understand how we help them come together as a group because we're talking about a very large group in the end Graham from 500 teacher over 500 teachers um, in rural context we were able to reach about 350 and, um, and they are together in this professional development. Of course they are in the small groups, so it will be interest, very interesting to get the larger group and those interested to keep on uh, and carry on the conversation of their own professional development and, you know, the discovery of ways of improving their um, language proficiency as well so I think I mean it's very early days we we need to uh, uh, see the results of the program and also analyze the exit surveys but I am sure that um, the majority will identify with the need of something else of more conversations of learning from each other
1: And. Just a, a question that's come to my mind um, while you were talking there. Is that how, did the, how initially did the teachers respond to this idea of them doing continuing professional development in this way, um, especially as I imagine that wasn't fami- they weren't familiar with this type of training?
4: Oh yeah, we, we had our concerns. So what we did in this pilot program is that we did a face-to-face induction session And we're doing an ending session, a close-of-course session, face-to-face, to to be able to get their impressions and, obviously, their exit surveys. But when it was introduced, not only to the teachers, the participants, but to the Ministry of Education, everybody was quite pleased with the fact that we had found a solution to give access to people who otherwise would not be interested, because, you know normally CPD or any any professional development in in Mexico especially in the states like Chiapas with so many rural communities and areas uh, is provided in the main city of the state and these teachers have to not only walk I mean the, the, they take different ways of transportation including walking for hours to get to the city mm. uh, so when we when we said that we could reach them where they are they were very pleased they were very happy I mean it was quite positive the response was quite positive remember I didn't mention this but this was voluntary voluntary uh, registration and participation yeah. so 350 teachers said yes we'll do this because they, w- they didn't have to disturb their everyday life and activities they connect once a week mm-hmm. and they do uh, work previous to the, to the session and post-session and the Ministry of Education is happy to um, engage in another module which is during the visit to Chiapas we had the opportunity to speak to them and they want to incorporate teachers from middle school to the program and and yes, go for another, another module so that speaks tons about the result. We haven't finished and people are very happy. And speaking to the teachers and when we um, you know hinted at the possibility of, of, of continuing with this they said they would enroll they were happy to go for another module
1: that's great and with a bit of luck I think some of the other teachers who decided of the 500 decided originally not to join maybe they'll be tempted when they uh, talk to their colleagues etc perhaps
4: Oh, no, definitely. The coordinator of the English language program in the state, the program is called PRONI, uh, Programa Nacional de Ingles. Uh, she, she told us that there's word of mouth now. Uh, people are, mm. are saying, oh, I should have registered. Oh, when are you going to have another one so that I can join? So, definitely, very positive response from, um, from teachers in general, not only rural, because the we didn't, we didn't include the uh, cities in the in the main city. Sorry, teachers in the main city, because we we just wanted to, to test the the concept. No, but now we are considering, you know, just public education teachers in the state of Chiapas.
1: Yeah, and I imagine this model would also lend itself to other states as well. Would that be the case? You think?
4: Oh, definitely. We are already thinking of the states in the north of the country, which are, I mean twice as, as as large as Chiapas and um, that have got different uh, rural communities and also indigenous communities. I mean, just to give an example, we've been uh, considering Chihuahua and uh, they have got communities um, the, like Tarahumara's that... that uh, obviously, we have to be very careful. We cannot mix the indigenous with the rural. It's, it's situational. It hap- what happened mm-hmm. in Chiapas is that the... The school sits in the rural community, but it is identified as indigenous. So we are after the rural schools, but if that happens to be indigenous, it's even a better experience, you know?
1: So just, just for my, my benefit more than anything else, like, what, what, how would you define the difference between the indigenous and the rural? Um, I imagine, as in the case of the project in Chiapas, there are rural schools that are also sort of rural populations that are also indigenous, but mm. there are other cases. When you say just rural and not indigenous, that means they're Spanish-speaking.
4: Exactly, and the program, the the minister, the uh, the federal minister of education, has established um, that indigenous schools must be uh, the instruction must be in the language of the students. When right. in rural schools use spanish for instruction and um, also it's because of geographic uh, geography you know um rural schools are defined like that because of where they are located Mm -hmm. but as i said like in the example of san juan chamula san juan chamula is an indigenous community but because of the job, because of where the school is it's considered a rural school so i mean It it will be very interesting after this first experience to analyze, really, um, the impact and the decision made by the Minister when they put out the call for teachers, because we didn't turn anybody down, so, um, and we won't do that, if if there are indigenous um, uh, school teachers joining us that's even better but we really need to understand their context more so the the homework and task for us now is mm, profiling in much more detail those teachers we did quite we collected a lot of data prior to the course because we wanted to have a a very robust baseline to analyze the impact but I think there were things that we took for granted and now we have to look at them with um, you know more uh, um, analytical eye
1: what kind of things did you take for granted do you think that like, you should have sort of thought and I, I, I explored a bit yeah
4: more about that the language of the the, the first the language, language of yeah. the teachers as I said well, we went to this school where one of the teachers did not speak the language of the community Tsotsil whereas mm. the other uh, ha, has Tsotsil as his first language so he's trilingual mm-hmm. you know so um, whereas the other teacher in the same school is only bilingual and looking at the classes I mean they, they were both very successful very well managed but looking at how one teacher resorted to the language of the learner while the other teacher used Spanish as a resource um, it, the, it has implications
1: and the students presumably they're, l- they're learning additionally to English they're learning Spanish as a second language
4: exactly so English is a third language right. and those were the things that we took for granted we just assumed that everybody w- in the context of rural school, was May learning. I your attention, please,
1: <laughs> so thank you Liliana for that wonderful explanation of the project in Chiapas and how it's developing what kind of hopes do you have for the future there
4: well um the more people engage with a marginalised rural communities I mean we have to be careful with the terms, you know, Margin- mm-hmm. marginalized and rural. It's just make professional development accessible for all. That's what I I, I hope that this experience for us in Mexico, um, once is socialized with other, um, you know, professionals, and we get feedback from others because the other people are doing similar work. I've just learned, you know, uh, and the concept of rural schools is not the same. So what what I expect is. To be able to do uh, monitoring and evaluation of the program and its outcomes and and hear the voices of other people doing it uh, and learn more and and keep on offering and providing um, quality professional development to everybody no matter where they are
1: fantastic thank you very much (laughs) thank you very much to Liliana for that conversation about the project and for her patience as I'm sure you heard, our conversation was constantly interrupted by announcements and apologies. Apologies too for the background noise of the airport. Um, despite trying to find the the quietest part of the airport, there were still lots of screaming babies and transport noises, etc. That uh, I guess it's what you find in an airport, but uh, I still think it was worth doing. So Liliana mentioned the project in Mexico, uh, that the project in Mexico is an adaptation of one that's already running in Venezuela too. And I think this is one of the great things about having reach across multiple countries for this type of educational project. The Venezuela project was started directly as a result of the pandemic. When the ability to deliver face-to-face training, of course, was impaired, my colleagues in the country were looking for a viable alternative. Talking to the Ministry of Education, etc., they decided that mobile ownership and usage in the country was such that it seemed to be a feasible, practical alternative uh, and allowed us to reach large numbers of teachers across the country. The existing materials that had been designed for face-to-face or online webinar delivery were uh, adapted and this idea of creating communities of practice using these messenger apps telegram or indeed whatsapp was adopted as well the initial idea of using whatsapp um, is definitely attractive i think because this is a tool that most teachers already use my experience has definitely shown me that it's always better to go for where the people are in these cases you will have few or fewer barriers to participation, far more engagement, if you use tools and platforms that teachers already use. Now, this wasn't the case with Telegram, but because it operates in a similar way to WhatsApp, there wasn't much of a barrier to persuading teachers to install and use it, both in Venezuela and Chiapas. And the same is true of our work in Cuba, where an online conference was held a year or so ago, think it was a year or so ago it might have been longer using telegram now telegram can be used as a broadcast medium and this is what uh, was done in this case with over four thousand teachers collected together in the same telegram group and um during the conference they used short audio and video files shared pdfs etc with the teachers over the course of two days Now, I was lucky enough to be a presenter at that conference. My hour-long presentation was split into parts. Separate recordings were made, and they were provided to the teachers to download. Then at specific times, the broadcast-only mode was changed to interactive mode, and the teachers were encouraged to ask the presenters questions. As you can imagine, there was a flurry of activity, which was a little overwhelming at first, but I did manage to get in some answers to the questions, or at least some of the questions asked by the uh, audience. What I didn't expect, though, was about 100 hundred or so of the Cuban teachers contacting me privately on Telegram. And most of these opened up um, these private chess, chats that were opened up the teachers just wanted to let me know that they enjoyed the talk and they wanted to show their appreciation but there were others who shared with me details of their context and um also how they had been innovating with um with technology in the classroom because i was talking about that of course surprise surprise and others ended up asking more practical questions about implementation of some of the things i actually presented or how it might work in their context and we had a bit of a discussion about that it was fascinating and for a week or so after my talk i continued to receive messages from teachers which was uh, was unexpected but but very welcome it's a very different type of conference indeed and the other thing was that At the end of about a week, I really got the idea that I understood the context of teaching in state schools in Cuba a lot more than I'd ever thought I would by just giving a conference presentation. I think when you do give a conference presentation, whether it's a webinar or a face-to-face conference, and even if you do talk to some of the teachers at a face-to-face conference, which is unlikely during many online conferences you do get the idea that um you get an idea of um of what or what their preoccupations are, etc um especially if you manage to talk to some of them afterwards but this telegram conference was it really made me feel that i understood a lot more than than usual After a conference, the context of the teachers, uh, the teaching context, which was fascinating. So anyway, as I said, this was a very different type of conference, which um, brings me on to the conference I've just been to, um, which was the TESOL conference in Portland. And... <coughs> Excuse me, and what can I say about that? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, about that conference and conference and conventions in general, uh, especially where they're organized for teachers. I'll start by talking a little bit about my experience at the TESOL convention and then um, move on to general. However, I would love to hear from anyone who is listening in live. If you would like to join me and share your experience of conferences of content, Uh, conventions of uh, personal development, professional development in general, then please um, please come in and and speak your mind it would be great to have a conversation with someone rather than just me having a monologue, but I am prepared just to witter on uh, if nobody joins me, but I'm sure that the uh, potential and existing listeners would love, love to hear more of a conversation. But um, here we go. So um, what can I say about that? But If you are, let me just remind anyone who's listening, if you are listening in and would like to join me in the studio, then um, I think you can do so the easiest way. And thank you, Tom, for that kind comment about being a fan of me wittering on. Um, I think you can go to ttradio.org, which will allow you to come into the studio and podbean, and then you can let me know in the chat. That you'd like to join me in the conversation, which would be most welcome. So while I'm waiting, hopefully, for people to um, to join me, let me turn to my experience of the TSOL convention that was held in Portland and Oregon in the US, which came to an end yesterday. Although, <coughs> excuse me. That's just the face-to-face part. Interestingly enough, TESOL are responding to the demand for online events by holding a second part, an extension of their face-to-face conference at the beginning of April, which I'm very much looking forward to. And just before I move on to what I saw and, uh, and, and everything about that, I think um, I'd like to just share what Catherine Taylor is saying in the chat, which is, I wish getting out to conferences was easier. It's challenging during the working week during term time. Yeah, Catherine, I think that's definitely true, and I think it's interesting to hear from teachers what works for them. So I know that online conferences, workshops, etc., that became a lot more popular during the uh, pandemic because people got used to it because it was often the only way that teachers could do. Continuing professional development. Um, However, and I'll definitely talk a little bit about that, and I'd love to hear from from you, Catherine, or anyone else listening in live about this. So, what what's the best way of doing conferences? What's the best way of doing professional development? The benefit, of course, of doing it online is certainly that um, it doesn't require travel. It doesn't require you to actually um, take time out from your working week as Catherine said to be able to do especially during term time to be able to uh, to attend etc and Catherine if you'd like to call in let me know please I'd love to speak to you more about this um, but one thing I think is really interesting and Uh, about the online conferences as well, is that you can actually record them. So online conferences, face-to-face conferences, what's the difference? What do you prefer? Come and speak to me. Um, Catherine is telling me that she's speaking at Bera in B-E-R-A in September, but can probably only attend one day because it's tricky. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think there's an appetite there was an appetite that was um and an experience that was uh, had by most teachers I think during the pandemic that they were able to attend online conferences and they got used to uh, doing that and that has continued to a certain extent so <coughs> I know a lot of conferences went fully online during the pandemic, but now. There's been a sort of a return to the face-to-face events, et cetera, like the TESOL conference last, uh, last week, but also with elements online, so some kind of hybrid events. So TESOL definitely have a few days of online um, as well. The IETEFL conference, however, which was held fully online during the pandemic, has gone to being fully face-to-face um now that the pandemic is inverted commas over, but with events held online during the year, which they did um, they did do anyway <coughs> excuse me for the cough I, I thought it had completely gone but that isn't the case at the moment and there's another, couple of conferences that I'm very much aware of and participate in Brass TESOL the big teaching of English conference that is held in Brazil was held every two years not every year and they have switched to a format which is quite interesting which is they are holding it face to face every other year and then the other year they're doing the online one so this year you'll be able to attend Brass TESOL online which is definitely more inclusive, I think. It's a, it opens up, so long as teachers have internet access, the ability to attend without having to travel, uh, which, as Catherine said, is so difficult at times. Our Belt Conference, the British Council's Beebelt Conference, which is held in February um, annually and has been going on for twenty year, 30 years, um, was a an event that was held face-to-face in Mexico uh, until the pandemic um, made us rethink it. And we switched to a fully online conference <coughs> um, and we're not going back. So post pandemic, rather than going back to a face-to-face conference in Mexico city, we've changed Bebel we belt to a fully online regional conference. And, we think that the benefits for outweigh the uh, the negatives really about that because we're able to offer it to far four, four more teachers in far more countries and places <coughs> than otherwise would, be, would have been able to attend. And the other thing that we're able to do with that as well is that all of the sessions are recorded. And one thing you find at a conference such as the Uh, TESOL conference in Portland, (coughs) excuse me, is that um, you have a choice uh, of sessions to go to during the three days of the conference, and if you miss one, that's it, you've missed that event, and quite often at the TESOL conference, for example, there were sometimes some, some slots had like 54 concurrent sessions going on. And, of course, there were. it was very difficult to choose which one to go to. And, if, uh, you know, if you went to one and you thought, well, actually, maybe I should have gone to the other one, that was it, your opportunity was gone. Whereas at least with conferences that are online and recorded, you have the um, ability with Bebel, for example, to, to um, go back and watch the recordings so we make the recordings for that conference for example open to all attendees for a month which I think is wonderful it means that you really do have the opportunity to go and catch up on things that uh, that you've missed that otherwise you wouldn't be able to do which is a great uh, advantage of fully online conferences What do you think? Come and join me so I don't have to talk and cough at you. Uh, (laughs) And Tom is asking about the platform we use for that conference. We use Hopin, which um, is definitely a wonderful platform. I think Tom is going to join me now. Let me see. You suddenly appeared, Tom, and then you disappeared. Hello. Hey Tom, how are
5: you? How are you? How's it going, Graham?
1: I'm fine. It's,
5: uh... I felt, you know what, I felt so bad about your cough. I was like, I'm going to call in to save you from the <laughs> cough. Because I just feel like if I don't call in, you're going to just suffer really much bad, much more.
1: Yeah, I. to be honest, I keep thinking that it's, uh, it's disappeared. And this morning I was very confident that I was able to... Talk for long stretches of time without coughing. Yeah. But as you've seen, it's not the case. Well, I've only
5: joined the last sort of 10 minutes or so. How was the first bit? Have you been coughing through the whole lot or have you? No. Just in the last sort of 10, 15 minutes?
1: Just recent, uh, just the last 10, 10 15 weird. minutes, I think. That's well, weird. it's partly because I had a recording of an interview that I did. So I was able ah. to cough off mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just feel bad. It has been weeks. It's been weeks. No, weeks. but it's it's um it's usual with me. Whenever I get a cold, I go through the usual cold that most people have and then I have a lingering cough at the end, which just lasts a month or so.
5: Well I was gonna I was this this whole hop in thing. Yeah. I've seen it being used. Hmm. Um but so is that the one where like you've got all the different rooms, like the virtual space and people can go into the different rooms and stuff, and they get a seat in the room. Yes. Yeah, that's
1: Yeah. I mean, there there are lots of similar type platforms, like multi-room conference platforms that are kind of um, – they're similar to if you had a collection of Zoom rooms, for example, together. um, Yeah, yeah. But you you have a kind of – it really does feel like you're in an event, one event, rather than yeah. when someone organises a kind of conference-type um, event with Zoom or some something similar, then you feel like you're coming in and out of separate rooms and there's not, there's no connection between them.
5: Yeah, and also, I guess, I mean, I, the disadvantage of sort of just a straight presentation, you don't necessarily feel part of an event, you feel more like you're watching the presentation. That's the disadvantage of, yeah. Uh, but I suppose they're different formats because sometimes you don't want to get involved. Sometimes you just yeah. want to watch a presentation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't you don't want to have to network or do anything online? You just want to sit there and, and sort of watch, and that's it. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that's one of the one of the disadvantages of the the online. It's very difficult to to get the kind of thing you get at an online at a face-to-face event where you Mm. kind of bump into people over coffee or you can talk to people that you were attending the same session as you afterwards you can socialize and stuff to it to a certain extent we try to to kind of add that into events I saw I don't know if you've heard about a if you know of a band called The Unthanks from my part Uh, of the world. No. They're like a folk band, and they have these singing weekends every year. And during the pandemic, they organize them online. And I'm definitely not a singer, but I attended their event because there was lots of sort of things going on, um, uh, and I'm a fan of the band. And they had four... Rooms. It was held in Hoppen and they had four open yeah. rooms that people could just drop into at any time for any reason. And you could just drop into one of those rooms and just observe if you wanted to, or you could actually um, speak to people either, yeah. you know, randomly or arrange to meet people and just yeah. speak. And that was fascinating. So we adopted that for our conference and to a limited it had limited success, I think, but it was certainly an interesting concept.
5: thing to play with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've sort of experimented with now. Oh god, I can't remember what it was called now. Oh, wonder is it wonder.me? Um, oh, that rings a bell. Yeah, yeah. Like I've used that um, for a couple of different things, and that's quite that's similar to what you're saying. Like you move yourself towards someone else, and then it opens up a chat with that person and you can have up to like six people in your sort of bubble and then okay. it, opens up, it opens up a video call with those six people and then you can move out of that whenever you want into another bubble and so on and there's different rooms. Um, so yeah, I do like that concept, but that relies on people taking action themselves. Yeah. That's, the, that's the limitation of it is someone could enter it and then be like, either... I don't understand the technology, so therefore I'm just gonna give up. Or right. they can be like, I'm too nervous and anxious to actually open a conversation up with someone I don't know, or that or that, you know, is requesting a conversation with me at, at random. Um so that it can sort of fall apart a little bit, I think, with that, unless it's yeah it's, it's really well planned and really well thought out. Um yeah. it's easy to say, Oh yeah, we've got this virtual space for networking, but then it just doesn't work unless you actually direct people sometimes. Um, You know, there'll there'll be people who are super confident, but a lot of people aren't. So,
1: Yeah. It's something about doing that kind of thing online that you feel that there's that idea of, it's a bit like, you know, coming in and joining me as a a guest on, on the show. There's sort of a feeling that there's more, it's more daunting than, uh, coming up to someone just chatting uh, at a conference I guess it feels like you're on a stage if you do that
5: yeah that's the thing um, and I guess it's 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 weird in the sense that it's virtual so you can get out of it whenever you want but but you still sort of feel like you're on the spot a little bit so sure. I, don't, I don't know it's interesting but anyway I thought I'd just share that with you and try to save you from, from collapsing uh, <laughs> in the next few minutes
1: thank you very much
5: <laughs> all right graham i'll
1: leave you to it mate but okay no. thanks please
5: please get better we, we need you. oh
1: yes i'm i'm sick of this now i think uh, it's the last stage so can't you get some um, antibiotics or something uh yeah i've i've, I've got i've been that. taking stuff but i i know what happens from experience it's just yeah. uh Fortunately, this is the first time in about four years that I've had this type of cold cough.
5: Yeah, yeah. Oh, awful. Anyway, take care. All right. uh, Yeah, speak soon. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Don.
1: So if anyone else is listening in, would like to join me um, to talk about this or anything else that's on your mind, please do so. Um, Back to... uh, my experience at the conference, the convention, TESOL convention in Portland, I think one of the things about face-to-face conferences that it's the first one I've been to for since before the pandemic, actually. So it it, it was very noticeable that it was, it's all, it's very interesting and engaging to be able to, meet teachers in person and it's that social aspect that was as i was speaking a little bit to tom about that. you can't really replicate online um that um is beneficial you can't really go out for a coffee or 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 when you bump into people you know or meet new people that networking aspect is very difficult to do um despite trying to do it in different ways i think You can't replicate what you get in a face-to-face conference at all. So I had, I think, also the benefit of being able to speak at length with my colleague Liliana about the projects in Mexico she's involved in, which was very beneficial to me. And then also, I think, going out to dinner with colleagues from other parts of the organization. We spoke about things, shared stories and information that otherwise I think we'd never um we'd never do and you know we socialised, got to know each other better and all agreed I think that this was the kind of conversation that was missing in our usual day-to-day work as well so that was a, a highlight for me as well I think quite often it's the things around the conference that are so important now famously I don't know if you've heard this before but the educator Michael Fullan, the international expert on education leadership and managing change, he said the following um, back in 1991 about conferences and professional development uh, when it comes to teachers doing doing it. Nothing has promised so much and has been so frustratingly wasteful as thousands of workshops and conferences that led to no significant change in practice when teachers returned to the classrooms. What do you think of that? I don't particularly agree with him, but I definitely think that anyone organizing or attending a conference needs to keep in mind this kind of thing. I think you need to be critical and, uh, and try to understand whether it's actually really worthwhile doing it. Um, I think i benefited a lot from going to conferences. And funnily enough, I have to say, I first saw Michael Fullan in person at a conference. So uh, it wasn't a teacher's conference in, as such, but there were definitely teachers there. So I think it's quite ironic that that quote uh, is attributed to him. He has, Michael, following a lot of other interesting quotations. One of them that I like, which I think is becoming a lot more um, relevant with the advances in AI, is the kind of teacher who is afraid they're going to be replaced by a computer should be. Now, that's quite a, uh, a bold statement. I don't know how you feel about that, but it's certainly one that is memorable. Another is the integration of technology in pedagogy to maximize learning must meet four criteria. It must be irresistibly engaging, elegantly efficient, in other words, challenging but easy to use. Technologically ubiquitous and steeped in real life problem solving. So I think that's those are definitely wide words. And one more for you from Michael Folling. Never think of technology without worrying about teachers. It's teachers with technology who will make the difference. But I digress. What did I get from attending the conference in Portland? What were the highlights? Well, Um, let me see. I think one of the things I've learned from all of the conferences that I've been able to go to or uh, speak at, and this has definitely changed my approach to them, is that it's very easy, I think, to try and see uh, at a conference more than you can handle, and, and that causes you to burn out. So there's no point in going to a dozen sessions in a day just because you can or just because you're interested in them because you're likely to end up falling asleep in some of them especially in the afternoons or spend all of your time trying not to fall asleep which is the same as not attending them so I think you have to really pick and choose carefully and I think as i said before the most valuable part of a conference is the networking conversations you have between in between sessions i think or after the day's events have finished so i definitely take advantage so i definitely took advantage of this um at the event in portland but what about the actual sessions that i attended Well, one thing I do is definitely I like like to go to a range of different sessions. So I don't just go and see the plenaries, the big names who are talking at a conference. Although it is interesting to actually go and uh, hear those people speak as well. I really like to go to individual to see sessions by individual teachers who have obviously made a big effort to share what they're doing so that other teachers may benefit from it. And I went to a few of those at the TESOL conference. One of the sessions I went to with my colleague Liliana was by a teacher called Christina Danilova, who's um, connected to the U.S. Embassy in Turkmenistan. And she talked about a task-based approach to implementation in low-resource contexts via Skype. Now, Both me and Liliana, of course, were intrigued by we're, we were interested, we're very interested. I think at the whole conference, we, we looked at anybody who was trying to implement low-tech solutions for teacher development or teaching. We're intrigued why, uh, why uh, Christina was using Skype, especially when tools such as WhatsApp and Telegram, that for us seem to be both more popular and which offer better experience and more resources for teaching as well as teacher development. Uh, why she was using that and we asked we asked her that as well after in the middle of the presentation when it when it came up and she explained that in her context skype was one of the few tech tools actually available in the country so with telegram whatsapp zoom and many others not allowed by the government and it was for this reason that it was being used christina also talked about how this old the old style messenger app icq if you've heard of that, had recently been adopted and was actually being used to for teaching and learning because this was popular in Turkmenistan. Now, given I used to use ICQ back when I didn't even have a mobile and I wasn't aware that it even existed anymore. I found this fascinating. I think the lesson here for me, it just is that it just goes to show that our assumptions about things how, about how things should be done and what people are actually doing around the world varies so much from place to place. So I found Christina's talk fascinating and um, a really surprise, beneficial thing for uh, for me to attend at the conference. And... I was impressed, I think, by the activity she showed and by the innovative nature of the work that the students are producing, which included some short videos. So despite using TikTok, they've, these teenagers, for example, that uh, that were in these videos that produced these videos, they had amazing production values um, that, you know, obviously TikTok is not available for them, but they're obviously aware of it, I think, Um or or there's a desire to make these short sort of story-type videos. So they had amazing production uh, values and storylines that were all done by the students themselves. I'm not sure how much involvement the teachers had in in helping with the storylines or correcting the English. But I have to say that the stories and the production values were far better than some of the acting of the students. But, of course, that's to be expected. What I think is definitely important Uh, which was definitely shown is that the English of the students was actually very good and uh, they're clearly learning and practicing the language which is uh, in an exciting and engaging way which is the main reason for all of this of course. So what else did I see? Well I saw that there was a presidential panel on the first day which was all about um, inspiring the future of research in English language teaching. And a lot of it, it was a number of past presidents or current president, the current president as well of TSOL. So we had someone called Joyce Kling um, from Sweden uh, or from London University in Sweden and Jun Yu who is president of an organization called TURF, which is all about um, inspiring research in English language teaching. And we had past presidents and moderators, uh, David Noonan, who um, is very well known in the English language teaching world and is also a past president, Peter de Costa; um, shondel Nero, and um, Orgizan Ustuk. And they were talking mainly about the debate. It was a debate about the divide between teaching and research and um, how they're often divorced and how it shouldn't be that way. And even though this, I think, debate has been going on a long time, certainly in the English language teaching world, um, and I imagine it is the case in other aspects, areas of education as well, I think it's still quite current and it hasn't gone away this divorce between research and teaching so I think it was a very welcome one and it was lively and engaging in parts and some of the I'm just going to read out some of the notes that I made here some of the quotes that uh, were said that are quite um, interesting I think so Shondell said when it comes to collaborative research teachers are too often perceived as consumers rather than partners Researchers need to spend more time in the classroom. And the suggestion was do the research with the teachers and not on the teachers, which I thought was an interesting point to make. Um, What else came out of that? I think there was a definite call for action to anyone who is doing research that involves teaching to actually become more collaborative with teachers and actually to co-create research, the research, et cetera. And building a community that includes um, teachers and researchers was definitely um, something that was suggested. And the idea that also um, research should be demystified uh, for teachers, and it should feel like something that they could do as well. So teacher research should be something that is definitely encouraged, which I think is, is a really good thing to do. And it can be done, really, research with a, you know, without a capital R can be done by any teacher who is curious about learning and trying to understand how to teach better. The teacher, therefore, is probably a researcher already which was mentioned. So that was an interesting discussion. Colleagues of mine presented on the future of English, which I think I'm really looking forward to reading the book that they've been putting together. This is um, research that is being undertaken by colleagues at the British Council, And includes opinions and views of educators and policymakers around the world. It's a book that's going to be freely down, uh, free to anyone to download, and it should be available in April. So that's quite an exciting thing. I think it's going to open up a lot of um, interesting areas for for people to to research about. I think, Um, and we'll also be looking at some of the predictions that were made. I don't know how many years ago by a researcher called David Gradle that actually produced the first version of this book um, and to see what has been um, adopted and what he got wrong really from his predictions. Then I think there's two other sessions that I went to um, that are worth me mentioning. Um, There were lots of other things I saw, but, two in particular. One was there was a session on ChatGPT. So it was a practical workshop for teachers who are interested in knowing more about ChatGPT. It was called Innovations ChatGPT for Language Learning. And the people who had put in for that had obviously done so without thinking that there was going to be a lot of interest in it so it was supposed to be a workshop for a maximum of maybe 50 people and i'm not kidding you the room was packed out with teachers who wanted to know more about this there was about I don't know, maybe 300-plus teachers who were in the room, others at the door who couldn't get into the room, teachers sitting on the floor, standing by the walls. All of the tables, all of the chairs were 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 occupied. And so the presenters had to turn the workshop into a uh, a presentation about it. Now, I think as it was meant to be an introduction to the tool, and i think quite a few people who were in the room actually knew about it and had played with it already like myself for example but i wasn't the only one in that in that situation it wasn't as interesting for me than it might have been if it had gone into uh, other aspects of it that uh, rather than you know what it is and how it can basically be used by english teachers for uh, for the lessons and how other things such as you know how you can detect if it's being used if you want to find out if teach uh, students are using etc so it wasn't as interesting as it could have been for me but it certainly was well attended and it seemed to go down very very well with those people who had never heard of it or who had vaguely heard of it but they'd never used it before so that was fascinating and it's quite interesting to see it's the big It was the big hot topic at the conference. So it was by far the session that had the biggest cue to get into the room, the most people that were interested in it. And it was also quite interesting because I was surprised to see it on the conference Agenda on the program, because normally these conferences you have to put in for your your proposal way in advance of the actual conference being organized. I know for the ITEFL conference, it's almost a year before uh, the conference actually starts that you have to put in your proposal. And so the ITAFL conference, which is taking place very shortly in April in Harrogate in the UK, won't have anything in the program about ChatGPT. So although there is a massive demand from teachers, for teachers, by teachers for workshops and talks about it, there'll be nothing on the program. So all of this will happen um after and in between in the coffee breaks and informal conversations. And I'm sure there'll be a buzz with anybody who's particularly interested in in language learning, language teaching, and technology um, there. I'm sure some presenters will manage to crowbar it in, even though it isn't in their titles or descriptions, because that's just the way uh, – that's just what happens. But it made me think that conferences should definitely – allow for more of a dynamic content, um, especially in these cases when things do change quite quickly and interest in something become very uh, apparent. I remember it happened when Twitter first appeared. So I um, put in a talk again at an IATEFL conference uh, to speak about Twitter. Um, And I know two other people at the IOTEFL conference, when Twitter first appeared, had uh, put in talks as well. And we were put in very, very small rooms because the conference organizers did not have a clue that Twitter had suddenly exploded and was being used by educators all around the world. And it was that popular. So they were all surprised when our rooms were completely packed out with people uh, like the ChatGPT talk, sitting on the floor, standing at the walls, peering over shoulders at the door, and they couldn't get in. And that happened with each of the three sessions on Twitter, and uh, it's quite funny. I think the year after that happened, the conference organisers put anyone who talked about Twitter in massive rooms and were probably surprised when they didn't have as many people uh in attendance because by then a year after it people had pretty much knew what it was and was were actually using it. So I think it's quite an interesting thing. Now what else? Um one more thing. Oh here comes Catherine. Catherine uh I think you've asked to be a speaker so I'm gonna bring you in. That's great. Hello. are you there Catherine
6: hello can you hear me
1: hello hello yes I can thank hey. you for joining me <laughs> yes
6: yeah, Sorry, I was listening earlier and I was in the middle of cooking the tea and I couldn't phone but I sure. did want to phone in um great it's so interesting um yeah I just I was listening with great interest to your comments uh your your um Michael Fullen quotes who oh yeah a big fan um but uh His idea that you know, I I imagine it's part of a larger thing that he's written, and there's context surrounding it. it, But
4: you
6: know, some of my work that I've done on on CPD and the uptake of it in schools. Yeah, you know
1: these.
6: I like to make a distinction between professional development activities and the professional learning that follows which is the you know the activity that you go to that inspires you and then later on the embedding it into practice and sustaining it which is more like the learning part where your beliefs and your practices have changed and um, you know going back into schools you can be revitalized and so inspired by what you see but unfortunately the structures of of many schools when you get back in it's really hard to sort of change your practices and and sort of propagate it out to your colleagues and things like that so I mean I don't really know what my point is but it's it's just really complex um to to sort of go to these things yeah and and imagine it would kind of be airdropped into a school um with even by the people who have been really inspired by who they meet
1: and what they see. Yeah, I think I, I completely agree with you, Catherine. I think it's one thing to actually go to a talk and be inspired by it and then another thing to actually try and put into practice, given the restrictions at schools so or in uh, whatever subject you're teaching, et cetera. Definitely agree with that. I think also... Um, i think a lot of a lot of it is it's very difficult for you to evaluate after, during or after a conference just how what you got from being there mm-hmm. um in very you know practical terms a lot of it is just having that spark of interest of being reignited of your enthusiasm for teaching just to see other teachers and see what they're doing it might not be that you actually want to adopt anything you saw in a particular session but it was like that session i saw about skype i'm not i wouldn't think about going back to using skype again but just seeing that flexibility um that the christina that teacher. Uh, had done with her learners and the passion she's obviously inspired in Mm. in the learners there that's that's the inspiration I think I got from that
6: yeah I think it's so important um you know a second point that you made a little while ago about teacher researchers I think to connect the world of um you know research in a digestible and practical way for teachers who are let's face it up against the daily grind very pressurized very stressed very time poor um you know sometimes people feel that they don't have the time to stop and look up even to find out what is out there or to consider changing something about their practice and i'm very research engaged i absolutely love Mm, it Um, great but I, i i do think that um what would be wonderful this is like if there was, a, what is it they call it, magic money tree, if there was, yes. you know, to have a kind of uh, a, a research professional pathway within schools because, you know, you can go into leadership or pastoral but there doesn't really appear to be a space for teacher practitioners and, you know, what I'm finding with my work is that I am coming up to a cliff edge where you, you, you're kind of, I'm going to have to go part time to continue to do the things that I want to do, and right, and and then, and then the, the sort of the the narrative that you get on places like like Twitter is, you know, these consultants who haven't been in the classroom for 15 years or, or telling me what to do and all the rest of it. And there's that resistance is very them yeah. and us kind of dichotomy. I think it's it's created by the conditions where teachers are obliged to leave their jobs to engage in research. And it just seems utterly absurd that the system pushes those who are keenest in research, perhaps out of the classroom. Um, So I feel like I've just phoned in with two grumbles, really. They're not a few.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but you make me think. They're two very relevant grumbles. And I think more (laughs) than grumbles, they're, you know, they're things that I think you're not the only teacher who thinks that and it, it is I completely agree with you it's such a shame that um your UI you, teachers like yourself um either don't have the time or the resources available to follow the interests that will so much uh I'm sure add to the quality of what you're doing and be, be benefit to other teachers as well if you were able to do them and I think It is a shame that there isn't that sort of, you know, with Google, they have 10 or 15% of their employees' time they can spend on their own sort of projects, whatever they are. I think that's the kind of thing that anyone in education should be funded and able to do. 100%
6: 100% because, you know, it does buffer you, um, you know, there's research, I can't remember who by at this moment, but there is research to suggest that it buffers you against the, the sort of burnout, the cynicism, the exhaustion. Um, it, you yeah. know, it reignites you, it inspires you. And, you know, I mean, I've just had my department review where I had my observation quite recently mm-hmm. and the, the person who observed me said that he just thought my practice was markedly better not that he said it wasn't bad before but he really see that up my game in this past year but actually what have I been doing this past year it's been engaging in research and you know talking to other teachers and and I think it's it's almost impossible not to improve your own practice if you spend time talking to people about what improves practice and so it just to me seems like it's such an own goal of the whole system um to to almost cut off that avenue towards improved practice in your school um, because it comes from this engagement. And, you know, if you're not having that space for that engagement to occur, things stagnate. And it's it's not the fault of the teachers and actually it's probably not the fault of the schools. It's this sort of um, the conditions that we're in, which uh, I know that we all so desperately want to improve.
1: Yes, Catherine this is fascinating I'm so happy that you um agreed to join the conversation <laughs> that's really good I'd I'd love to be able to speak to you more more I mean why don't you come on as a guest um um yeah well I, at I, I think some point, I,
6: I don't know if um I'm, I, I believe I'm actually going to become a host quite soon so oh I'll, are I'll you? be your guest you could be mine
1: <laughs> perfect so um <laughs> Yeah. If you, if you're going to be a host, then we're, we're, we're all going to be connected. So, um, you can contact me in Slack, which we use the teacher yes, talk Radio yes. people through there. So that'd be great. And, uh, I'd love to find out more about your actual context and we can have a, we can have a longer talk before you, no, before be, you become really a host. Brilliant. That'd yes, be great.
6: Yes. No, I've Excellent. been listening a lot since I've kind of got, in, got, uh, dipping my toe in a little bit. So, uh, I just thought I'd tune in tonight and it was about because i have because I'm going to BERA, which is the British um, uh, Educational Research Association. I have not my abstract accepted and I was right. writing this morning to see if I can get a bursary to attend. And of course, okay. I'm trying to work out and navigate all of that. So it was right on my mind. Oh, wow. You know, conferences and how am I actually going to go? And I'm very grateful to my head teacher who's said I can have one day. Um, yeah. which you know I, they're not obliged to do but it's a three-day conference and I know how enriching it would be and it's such a shame but I, I completely understand the pressures uh, yeah. the financial pressures the cover you know all of that stuff it's it's a very much a rock and a hard place but I do believe that it will be beneficial and it's enriching and it's enlivening and it's refreshing, and. It,
1: it really will improve people's practice. Oh, definitely, that's fantastic. So, I I think I would like to propose that we have a, you know, maybe we I have you on as a guest and we talk about research and teaching, and yeah, sure. the definitely. links <laughs> between it, what works, what doesn't work, all of this in in a lot more detail. If you if you're interested in that, I'd love to speak to you at length of that. I think um, it would be a great subject
6: no absolutely no that would be that would be really good thank you
1: great so um yeah let's I'll, I'll get in touch with you and um perfect and i look forward to you being a host as well that would be great
6: i know i've got uh, i've got a couple of people i'm um, thinking about what we're going to talk about probably um retrieval practice because that's what everyone wants to talk about at the moment so
1: <laughs> excellent
6: all right, well, I'm going to get off the line and let you carry on because I'm really interested in in what you've got to say. But uh, I thought I would just uh, pop up my head and say hello.
1: Fantastic. Well, I'm I'm going to bring things to a close now because I've been. This is the hour and a half that's uh, coming oh, to an perfect. end. So, so it's just at the right time. All right, Catherine. Really nice to talk Thank to you. Thank you
6: very much for your time. You too. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you.
1: Bye bye. And so, everybody, that brings us to the end of today's Saturday Twilight Show on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you in particular to everyone who was listening in and to Catherine and Tom for joining me actually on the show. I hope everybody listening has enjoyed it and found it of interest and useful. And remember, there are shows all week on Teachers Talk Radio and you can listen in live or to the podcast recordings and I will be back at the same time